Greetings. Welcome to the first full episode of the Sacred Wandering Podcast. I'm Kevin, your host, and I'll be talking with people about their journeys with faith, religion, spirituality, and values. Wandering down crooked road I saw the spirit like a dove She sang a song I've not yet heard She called me out to see the world There's a lot of good news in the Episcopal Church, and I think it's time more of us in the Church share some of the good news in our own lives. Good, but not always easy. Sometimes even quite difficult. All right now, let's get on with the show. I'm here with the Reverend Alex Dyer, who is the priest in charge at St. Thomas's Episcopal Church in Washington, D.C., my parish. Alex, thank you for being here. Pleasure to be here. So thank you for being a yeah, the first sort of on this maiden voyage. So just just think of yourself like uh, Laika, the first dog in space. Or a guinea pig or... <laughs> and, okay, and, okay, yes, Laika died in space, but let's not take the metaphor too far. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so tell me a little bit. Uh, where, where were you born, grew up? Uh, so I was born in uh, Kingsport, Tennessee, which is uh, eastern Tennessee. So technically, I guess I'm a hillbilly at heart. Uh, and uh, we, my mom and dad divorced. We moved up to the D.C. area, Montgomery County uh, area because of family. Uh, and was there elementary and middle school. Uh, and then down to Virginia Beach. So I guess kind of the mid-Atlantic would be a, an accurate description. All right, so tell me a little about your spiritual, um, you know, how you grew up spiritually, you know, in your faith, mm -hmm. and all that. So uh, I grew up, um, we weren't even Christmas and Easter Christians, we were just Christmas Christians uh, until about age 15. Uh, it was, and it wasn't until we actually moved up to the D.C. area. Before that, there was literally no church upbringing whatsoever. Uh, despite the fact of living in, you know, the kind of the buckle of the Bible belt, uh, knew people that went to church, but never really was a part of my life. Uh, so we came up here, we had to go to church in order to get Christmas dinner. Uh, it was just part of the routine, so we did that. Uh, and uh, so I grew up, and then we'd also, or I would also go to church. Uh, you know, you spend the night at somebody's house on Saturday, and then say, you know, Sunday I want to go to church. So I went to a variety of uh, different churches that way. Um, but it wasn't until 15, my mom and dad, like I said, were divorced at six. Dad comes up to visit us when he was 15. Uh, he had found church through AA and uh, says, hey, um, I'm going to this thing called an Episcopal church. We happened to look in the yellow book because it was that time. Uh, and we found the uh, local Episcopal church that was closest to us. And it was a real moment, I think, of, of coming home. Um, I had, unbeknownst to me, I had actually, uh, some of our friends were Episcopal uh, and had gone to their church and always kind of felt uh, a real wonderful spirit there, more so, and not to talk bad, but this wasn't a good fit for me in the sense of Roman Catholic churches or evangelical churches. It felt always a sense of welcome uh, there. And really felt that with my mom. My mom, uh, we, the reason that we weren't a part of the church is she felt the church was very hypocritical. 
uh, East Tennessee, Vietnam War. How can these people claim to be of Jesus and you know be so pro-war? Uh, so she came back. There was a woman in the pulpit. They had a woman assistant there. She said, maybe the church is changing. Uh, so uh, because I didn't drive yet, I was dependent on her, and she said, let's, let's start to go back to church. So we did, uh, and I was baptized at 15, I think confirmed at 16. Uh, so that was kind of my introduction into uh, the Episcopal Church, and we actually confirmed together, my mom and I. So told here. Yeah. So what, let's see. So tell me a little bit about sort of post-baptism confirmation. Now, I believe, if I remember correctly, you were a uh, missionary? Yeah, yeah. So um, after being baptized, uh, uh, I really kind of dove head into youth group, all that other kind of stuff. Um, and there was an older priest there, an uh, older guy, Father Bill, Father Bill Starkey. And uh, one pivotal moment I remember very clearly in my my faith journey was uh, I was about ready to preach uh, the youth sermon. They did, you know, where the youth, you know, are allowed to preach uh, one Sunday. And I was diligently going over in the rector's office. Father Bill was putting on his, about to put on his stole, and he turns to me and he says, have you ever thought about ordained ministry? You know, I still felt well from, wet from baptism. So, I mean, the, the really was a no, because um, I just really had no idea what that entailed. Uh, and I said no, and he said, I, I think you have gifts for ministry, uh, for ordained ministry. Uh, will you promise me that you'll think about it? Yes, Father Bill, I'll think about it. Uh, so, I, so I did, uh, and it really became, uh, like I think a lot of them call it, came a stirring in my heart to where I started to see myself different because somebody recognized something in me um, that I couldn't necessarily even see myself. So that began to stir I entered the, the ordination process, uh, and I'm getting to the missionary thing, but uh, basically got there through the ordination process. I met some people in a group that were long-term missionaries in Liberia and was really engaged with their story. Uh, and they told me, actually, they were like, oh, you know, you need to do it now when you're young because you get a family, it's harder, and uh, so on. So I was one of the first people uh, to go out of that newer generation, uh, people actually going to seminary after college. Uh, and there had, somebody in Southern Virginia hadn't done that in a very long time. So they wanted me to take a gap year, basically. Uh, so they, uh, I just threw out to the vestry. I said, well, I've been thinking about becoming a missionary. And they latched onto that uh, and uh, ended up doing a year in Cairo, Egypt. Uh, a significant year because I arrived there in August 2001. So a month before September 11th. Uh, in the heart of the Middle East, and uh, people that sent me, they were all based in New York, mm -hmm. uh, New York City. So it was a, an interesting time. The internet in 2001 wasn't quite what it is now, uh, especially there. So uh, it, it, was a, it was a time of challenge, I think, but yeah. So what were some of the things that you learned during that time? Uh I think I learned a lot about God and a lot about myself. Uh, you know, I was 21 uh, and you know, just so much emotion kind of a, as a 21-year-old and so much idealism. And I came out like, I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to get close with God and it's going to be wonderful. And like, you know, it'll be like it is in the movies and it'll be wonderful. Um, and I tell people it, it was really my wilderness time. Um, and I kept on doing things. I would go to, you know, 
morning prayer at 7 a.m., you know, at the cathedral and try to, uh, you know, get closer to God, try to read more scripture, try to do all this kind of stuff in order to get to God. And I never, it seems like and it was just tough. It was emotional. I was away from people. Uh, I had a great network of friends there, but still just never felt uh, quite connected to God as, as I'd wanted to. Now, looking back, I realized I was, I was very connected to God and there was a lot of good things happening, a lot of kind of growth in me. Um, I remember one incident that kind of has, has really shaped my future ministry. I sat down with a supervisor one time and it was after I'd been there a couple months and uh, I worked with Sudanese refugees. Uh, and I remember talking to him and saying, hey, uh, you know, all I feel like I'm doing is uh, sharing stories and talking to people. I feel like I'm not doing enough work. My kind of a American Protestant uh, work ethic was kicking in. Uh, and he looked at me, and I'll never forget this. He said, you know, you're doing exactly what a missionary should be doing in the sense of, you know, just being, sharing with, talking with people, sharing your story, hearing their story. Uh, over tea, over, you know, just uh, talking to people and connecting with people. And I think, you know, the times when I get in my own head and worry that I'm not doing enough uh, as a priest, you know, I could be doing this, I could be doing that. Uh, and I think it's a real, of anybody, but I think especially uh, in ordained ministry, you can get into this doing stuff uh, and not really be centered in the sense of being and being present in the moment and talking to people and connecting with people. Um, so yeah, I think that was the kind of valuable lesson that I need to remind myself of from time to time, but I think it's something I carry with me even to this day. Do you remember any of the stories you heard from refugees that had a mm-hmm. you know, big impact on you? Um, yeah, there was one, uh, John Luate uh, was a... Um, friend that I became really close with him and his family. Uh, he made me an honorary memory of the Kakwa tribe, I think. is the, I can't remember the exact name. Uh, should remember, I'm an honorary member. But anyway, I don't think he even had that power. But anyway, uh, we, we connected a lot. And I remember one, again, like, bear in mind, I'm 21, uh, and fairly new to uh, Christianity. And I remember talking something, somehow forgiveness came up. And I told him, well, you have to forgive, uh, you know, the, the Sudanese, you know, the people, uh, northern Sudanese at this time, who uh, did that. And he is, he's like flip of a switch, normally a very go-lucky kind of guy. And he said, how can I forgive those people? You know, they came in, they raped, you know, uh, the, the women in my village. They burned my village to the ground. And you want me to forgive them? And I was kind of like, yeah, that's what Jesus said, you know. Um, And that was real kind of a a wake-up call for a 21-year-old in the sense of to to be confronted with that. You know, I lived a very privileged life and still do to a large extent. So to be confronted with that real uh, sense of, you know, how how do I I forgive, you know, something like that, Um, it, it, it it was a tough thing for me to hear. And it's kind of stuck with me even today that forgiveness is complicated. Um, and there's real kind of atrocities going on in the world. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I don't have to deal with them on a day-to-day basis, but there are people in this world who do. So forgiveness means something different to them. Uh, so it was real kind of a wake-up call. Um, and, you know, I was able, privileged enough to hear a lot of other stories just of people dealing with atrocities I couldn't even imagine. I remember people coming up to me on September 11th 
after been there a couple months and heard uh, some of the stories that they've gone through and just the compassion that they had. And I was like, you know, not to take anything away from September 11th, which was a, a tragedy, but the, you know, the stuff they have to endure for so long, uh, it, it just, it humbled me, you know, in the sense of, wow, you know, th this was a catastrophic event, but you all experience stuff like this on a, on a daily, a weekly basis. So, yeah. So after you came back, how soon after that did you start the ordination process? So I, I, I started it, it started before, so I came back, I was, had gotten the green light to go to seminary. Um, I did my, I have a complicated journey. I, I did my first year at Seabury Western Seminary, which was in Evanston, Illinois, uh, because I thought that was the right thing to me. I had also uh, didn't want to go to Virginia Seminary. Uh, we're actually doing uh, my doctor ministry now. By the time, every priest I know had gone to Virginia Seminary, so I didn't want to follow that route. Uh, and uh, went to general in New York, and it just overwhelmed me uh, because of New York City, again, kind of the suburban guy, Montgomery County, and I've never really been a huge city like that. Um, but anyway, so then I went to, to uh, Seabury Western, Evanston, Illinois, um, came to a realization about my own sexuality as well, which was, was part of that. And before that, I always identified as heterosexual. And uh, seeing people of faith, followers of Jesus who were identified as gay and who were in long-term relationships and were uh, priests or studying to be priests, or actually some of them were priests on the faculty and some of them were studying to be priests, really just kind of blew open my mind uh, on what it could mean to be a Christian. Uh, and, and you could be a Christian, you could be, and be gay, you could be gay and be ordained. All that uh, wasn't really happening in Southern Virginia at the time. So uh, I came to a realization of that over the year and then uh, decided to actually switch to general seminary, partly because uh, Cairo had gotten the city bug in me. Uh, I'd, I'd lived that and kind of baptism by fire into that. And Cairo makes New York look like Mayberry, basically. It's uh, quite a bustling city, uh, a lot going on. So I uh, ended up transferring to general seminary uh, and finishing out my... Um, Master of Divinity there, uh, which was very different than Seabury Western in a lot of ways. So how did your time at seminary affect your, uh, your view of faith, you know, your spiritual life, for good or bad? Hmm. I look back and, you know, being, again, like, I think I graduated when I was 25, 26, somewhere around there, and um, your early 20s, I was kind of an arrogant jerk. We, a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, that's a, I know it comes with it. But, but the joy of being an arrogant jerk uh, and being in seminary is uh, the formation that happens in the sense of people calling you on your crap. You know, and, and I think I appreciated that. And just, you know, I came into and I was, you know, like I said before, I was a missionary. So I knew what it was like to be an Anglican comedian. I had it all kind of figured out or whatnot, too. And. Um, I think people were patient with me, thanks be to God. Uh, probably more patient than I would have been maybe with somebody like me. Uh, but they were, and, uh, you know, because we're all in formation, I think people realize that. So, yeah, I, I, I was, you know, that the world is gray, that, um, you know, you can think differently, that you can be a part of this wonderful, roomy church. Uh, a lot of different ways, and there's a lot of Episcopalians out there with strange beliefs, maybe myself included, uh, and we're all trying to figure this God thing out together. Um, and I think also to realize 
seminary taught me that people are constantly in formation. Like when you were ordained as a priest, like that's the beginning of your journey, not the end. And I looked at some of these people, maybe some people looked at me this way too. It's like, oh, that guy's going to be a priest or, or you know, that particular, that woman's going to be a priest. Oh my gosh. Um, but, you know, I've seen through contact with other people the way as God has continued in the formation. I know my first five years kind of out of seminary were very uh, formational as far as me as shaping who I am as a priest. So God's not quite done with us yet. Uh, so tell me a little about the formation as a priest. Mm-hmm. So I was told uh, by a seminary professor, uh, Jim Farwell, when I interviewed a general that your first five years of priest, you'll, you'll learn how to be a priest. Um, and that was very true. You do get the kind of foundations, I think, in uh, seminary, which I think are very important. That formation both in the classroom as far as, you know, Bible history and all the other stuff, but also the, the, the community for day, formation that I alluded to earlier. Uh, but you really do uh, get out there and, and some of your idealism is kind of stripped away, I guess, in a good way. Um, you realize that uh, it's a tough job. Uh, there are some wonderful followers of Jesus who can be very challenging. Uh, and uh, I, th- I think with good intentions, but can cause a lot of damage. Um, and luckily I've had too many of those along my way, but I've had a few. Uh, and it's kind of, it strips away that idealism a little bit. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you, you come in with all these grand ideas. You're going to be the one to change the church. You're going to be the one to do things differently and everything. Uh, and then reality kind of sets in. Um, and, you know, I think I've, I've done some good things in my ministry along with some other people along the way, but uh, there's very few, you know, Martin Luther's or uh, people that just kind of change the, the faith dramatically. Um, but you do your part in your corner of the kingdom. And you served at a couple of parishes mm-hmm. before coming here to St. Thomas's? Yes, yes. Uh, I, I, you didn't hire me fresh out of seminary. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, I uh, served uh, St. Luke in the Fields in New York City. Uh, I've been there. Yep. And I uh, worked with uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender youth. Uh, and then there was a People with AIDS Dinner. I said mainly their outreach. Uh, and then after that, Went to lovely New Haven, Connecticut, where I thought I'd be for two years. But, you know, the old joke that, you know, God laughs when you make a plan. And uh, ended up there for about seven years, serving two churches, one Trinity on the Green, where I was the assistant. And then I was priest in charge uh, at uh, St. Paul and St. James, uh, which was like four-tenths of a mile of the road. Uh, You could literally see one church from the other church. And, uh, and then I did an interim stint uh, up in Bloomfield, Connecticut, which is a suburb just, uh, I think, on northwest of Hartford, Connecticut. And then, yay, Yes, yes. All in preparation for uh, my wonderful ministry at St. Thomas's Parish. Now, I'm certainly not looking for the dirt or anything, <laughs> but what have been some of the, the best parts about being the priest in charge here? Um, I think there's many things about being uh, a priest here at St. Thomas Parish. I, I, so I've been here since it was a year in October, and I keep on waiting for the honeymoon to kind of end. Uh, I, I think what, what we have left here is uh, a core group of people. Now, it's not a huge group of people. We're not at the height of what St. Thomas used to be in attendance. But what we have here is a core group of people. And, and I gave uh, a speech, you know, you were, I think, 
part of the interview. And one thing I remember distinctly saying in that interview is uh, we have an opportunity, for those that don't know St. Thomas Parish has moved out of their building. Uh, the original building burnt in 1970. Uh, they, we worshiped in our parish hall for 47 years. Obviously, I wasn't there for all that, uh, but uh, decided to move out, and you wanted a priest that was going to kind of help you transition out. And I remember saying, like, you know, we have an opportunity here not to, to leave, you know, not physical stuff behind in the rubble, but everything that doesn't fit for us anymore, you know, committees, whatever, to like, whatever, just leave it behind, uh, because the church is in a real, the church, the wider church is in a real transformational stage right now uh, and so leave leave that behind leave that in the rubble and if we need it when we come back to our old church it'll be there and people took me up on that uh, and we uh, you know so it's a group of flexible people it's a group of people that you know I'm surprised with all the time in the sense of just how faithful they are because they're not necessarily wearing their their faith on their sleeve you know you you give out Lenten devotionals and people actually read them you know, where I don't know if that was true in my other parishes, but it didn't seem to be quite as high concentration. Uh, people are looking and searching for Jesus. And you have a group of people that are generally younger, uh, many of whom identify as LGBT, but not everyone. Uh, and uh, you look out in the crowd of the congregation, there's people that like want to be at church, especially like the millennials of one or two and LGBT people. You could see why they wouldn't go to church. So they're here because they want to be here. Uh, and I think there's a real authenticity that comes with that faith and a real genuineness uh, that is just like great to be a part of. And people step up and they want to do things and they want to be part of things, you know, not all the time, but most times. Uh, so it's great to kind of be a part of that. So here at St. Thomas's, I try to figure out, you know, when to, when to lead, when to follow, and when to just get out of the way. Um, and I don't always get it right, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's just, it's an art, not a science. And so anyway, um, I think it's just a privilege to kind of be here and be a part of that and be a people that are really trying to figure this all out, uh, and willing to change and be flexible is, you know, I talk to my other colleagues and, you know, I just kind of sit there with a little smirk on my face sometimes too, because it's just like, I don't have the same experiences that they're having um uh, of people just kind of entrenched and not wanting to do things or not wanting to change and this is not true of all my colleagues but some of them and i just sit there with this little smirk on my face because it's 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 wonderful to be here yeah. now we live in a society where you know one of the most rapidly growing segments of the population you know spiritually mm -hmm. religiously is the nuns, nuns. the no yes so Imagine I'm one of these nuns, and I say, "Okay, why should I be a Christian? And particularly, why should be I? Why should I be a Christian in the Episcopal Church?" Mm -hmm. What would you say? Um, I think for me, Christianity calls me out of my selfishness, uh, calls me out of my, um, calls me out of a, a place. Uh, where I can kind of get on this on a loop in the sense of uh, doing the, the, the same things kind of over and over again. Uh, it calls me to draw on a faith that is not built on worldly power, on esteem, uh, calls me into a sense of uh, recognizing and being okay with my brokenness and my vulnerability. Um, and, and I think that's kind of, you know, best done in community, I think is where it kind of ties into the church. I think, you know, one can follow Jesus, uh, but I think it needs to be done in community. 
uh, and you know one I think it was an ancient church father anyway somebody somebody talked about one time too about being a Christian is kind of like being a log on a fire in the sense that you take the log off the fire and it can, it'll burn for a little bit but eventually it'll go out because it needs uh, the, the the fuel of the of the other um, logs in the fire so I think that you know that's why we're called to be in community so you can read your Bible on Sunday mornings but that's great, but we're really called to be in community uh, and to be with each other, uh, and, I, and I think we long for that. Uh, and I think we also, you know, we long for this connection of God, of something deeper and beyond ourselves. I think it's kind of innate in every human being, and we can we can ignore it, uh, but I think it's still there no matter what. So why the Episcopal Church? Why the why not the <laughs> <laughs> um, the Episcopal Church um, offers a place to explore. Um, it offers a place for you to figure this out together. Uh, I think we offer a place where you can be yourself, where you can bring your, your, your genuineness, your authenticity, your, your brokenness, uh, and, and not necessarily have to have all the answers. Uh, I think we do have some answers, obviously. Uh, and, and I think you know we have a deep sense of... Um, of a God that loves us, and, and we, we raise that up. I think in particular this time of the Episcopal Church, uh, and, I, and I'm glad we are getting back on board with the Jesus thing, um, I, I think we, we offer a place where you can really talk about Jesus as well. Uh, Hallelujah. Yeah. It's, it's, I think, long overdue. I think when I was growing up, I remember being with um, an ecumenical group in college uh, with a lot more evangelicals and other people, and they were much more comfortable using the, the J word, Jesus. Uh, and we, you know, we'd heard about Jesus, and I was with somebody else actually in my youth group at college, and we, we talked about, we never really talked about Jesus, though. Um, and, you know, I can't remember praying to Jesus. I remember, you know, kind of praying to God. And, you know, it, it's, it's a different thing to, to pray to Jesus. Um, and when you know there's flesh on it and what I do. So anyway, uh, I think you know the Episcopal Church is reclaiming that. You know, getting back and calling ourselves you know the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement. And I think there's some real gift in that uh, to figure out who this Jesus is. So what do you think are some of the, I guess, sort of the challenges you know, in the Episcopal Church? Maybe places where we fall short. We're perfect. We're absolutely perfect in now. Um, I think, you know, it, I think where the Episcopal Church is falling a little bit short, uh, and this is a shame because it used to be one of our strengths, is the ability to talk uh, with each other and not at each other. I think we've fallen victim a little bit to our society in a sense of, uh, we've entrenched our corners, uh, and we don't really listen to each other, I think, as well as we used to be. Uh, and, you know, I think we're better than some places, but we're, there's room for improvement on that. Unfortunately, I think we uh, lost a lot of uh, more theologically conservative people along the way. Uh, and I appreciate a dialogue back and forth. Um, you know, and, and I also appreciate where we've at in some of the uh, wonderful strides we've made uh, as far as including all of God's children. So, you know, it, it's tough. Uh, it, we're, we're kind of in a tough spot. We're kind of figuring this out. Uh, but there, there's, yeah, I, I do mourn the loss of 
kind of the diversity of theological opinions and be able to to express that. But I think we got to a point to where we weren't listening to each other, um, and uh, and and that's unfortunate. So, you know, and this is kind of on a larger Episcopal church level. I know in, maybe in congregations it's a little bit different, but uh, on a larger uh, stage in the Episcopal church, uh, I think we've lost that a little bit. And then sort of coming back to sort of the more personal level, mm-hmm. what, I would say one thing that you sort of want to learn more about uh, as a, you know, when it comes mm-hmm. to church, faith, religion? What do I want to learn more about? Um, I think I'm on, on a constant learning thing. Uh, one thing I am passionate about right now uh, is uh, kind of community organizing and, and connecting the church to the wider neighborhood. Uh, I think I want to do that. I, I also, you know, but I think it's, so we're at St. Thomas's, we're kind of stealing a phrase from other people in the sense that that's like apostleship, like being sent out, connecting with the world. Uh, and then there's just also the sense of discipleship, right, in the sense of, coming back into the world. Apostleship's breathing out, discipleship's kind of the breathing in, and you need both. Um, I think kind of my area of growth uh, is how do, we, how do we build that discipleship, that core to where uh, people kind of want to be a part of it. I want to build a kind of community within the church. I would love to see, like, my, my dream at St. Thomas's uh, would be that people are meeting in small groups. And I've never really had that happen in a church, and I don't know the magic formula that other churches make that happen. But uh, you know, I've read and seen that people in small groups just are kind of more faithful Christians than what we measure a Christian by. You know, they support each other better. They help that. You know, I think we do a fairly good job of that at St. Thomas's, but I imagine... Uh, and kind of yearn for a time where we can, you know, really be connecting with uh, smaller group communities. Um, and I think that kind of happens already at St. Thomas's, but to be more intentional about that, I think, would be a good gift. And so, if, you know, I, I don't know how it's done. I don't have a magic wand, but I'm kind of, that's my uh, shiny object that's fascinating me right now. Oh, well, you know, we just keep working on it. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you very much, Alex. I am really glad you were able to do this and uh hope you have have a great day thanks for doing this all right take care you do thank you for listening to sacred wandering podcast join me in about two weeks as we explore more stories of people in their faith and spiritual lives you can find this series on itunes soundcloud and wherever else you get your podcasts if you like what you hear leave a review follow me on my blog sacredwandering.wordpress.com and on Facebook, and share with others. The music you hear is Searcher by Alex Johnston from the album Epiphany Songs from Church of the Apostles in Seattle. You can find it at apostleschurchseattle.bandcamp.com. I'm Kevin, your host, wishing you a good day and Godspeed. And remember, not all who wander are lost. But let me check Google Maps to make sure. I pray for fire like the dawn Burn away my coward